this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And so this week we read Parsha Kitisa, a very important Parsha that comes in between the instructions for the tabernacle and the clothing of the Kohanim, and then the actual execution of those commands. And of course, contains amongst other things, the stories of the golden calf. Now, the story of the golden calf, the whole incident rivals that with the spies as being one of the two greatest moments of sin in perhaps the history of our people, certainly within the context of the Torah, etc. And so when we think about big sins that we have a people have committed, we hearken back to this and to the spies. Now, the fascinating thing about this whole scene with the golden calf is that it's not totally clear to us what exactly went wrong. Now, last year I did my episode on what exactly was the sin, what did the people do, what happened? This year I wanna focus on that sort of a similar question but from a different perspective and that is, what is happening in the dynamics in this scene between the people in Aharon on one level, literal level at the bottom of the mountain, and then God and Moshe on the other level at the top of the mountain? Who, what was, what was the sin exactly, but who was to blame for it? And how does each party perceive what's going on? And where do those perceptions match up? And where do those perceptions clash? And so to do that, we're going to go through each of these four perspectives as they are told to us in the first half of chapter 32 of Exodus. Now, well, the chapter opens, the very first verse tells us exactly what's going on. Well, it's not actually clear, but exactly what's going on with the people themselves. So it says, the nation, the people saw that Moshe was so long in coming down the mountain. They gather against Aharon. And what do they say to him? They say, Kum aselanu Elohim, Asher Yelchulefanenu, Kize Moshe Haish, Asher Heelanu Meeretz Mitraim, Loyadanu Mehayalo. Okay, let's go through this carefully in the JPS translation. Come, make us a God, lowercase g, who shall go before us. Why? For that man, Moses, the Ish, who have brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So it's clear, even though, again, these details are confused, and if you want, you can listen to last year's episode to get more clarity on that. But it's clear here, what do the people perceive? They perceive, they know that an Ish named Moshe took them out of Egypt. They don't know where he is. And so now they want a so-called new God to go before them and lead them because they don't know where he's gone. He's disappeared. Now, Aharon, there's a lot of debate about what role Aharon plays. Does he sin? Does he not in his involvement? And even though Moshe gets angry at him, the text is pretty honest in that Aharon never actually gets punished, which is something that we'll keep returning to. So how does Aharon respond? In verses four and five, so he, he says, okay, give me gold and all this stuff. And he, he throws them in, he casts a mold, and it, it, it turns into a golden calf. And what do the people respond when they see it? They say, Ela Elohecha Yisrael, Asher Heilucha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. 
This is your God, lowercase g, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The people are thrilled. We lost Moshe. Now we've got a golden calf. How fantastic. Now Aharon knows well, that this golden calf is not actually going to replace Moshe and that neither Moshe nor the golden calf brought them out of Egypt in the first place. It was God. And so then the Torah tells us, Vayar Aharon vayivin mizbeach lefanav, vayikra Aharon vayomer, chag Hashem machar. So Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and then he announced, tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord, of God, the capital G, the Tetragrammaton in Hebrew. The first time that we actually see God's name really entering into this. So the people are looking for someone or something, some God, lowercase g, to replace Moshe, who took them out of the land of Egypt. Aaron is trying to appeal to this mob mentality, says, here's a golden calf, right? I think we we I think we know enough about Aaron. Certainly he knows what he's been tasked with of being the Kohen Gadol to know that he doesn't actually think there's any validity, there's any, you know, substance, um, any meaning to this calf. But okay, they need a representation, fine. But then he says, tomorrow is a Chag Hashem, right? Tomorrow is a holiday, a festival for God. He is actually understanding the distinction or the nuance or the end game that the people haven't even gotten to yet, right? That this is really about God, capital G, at the end of the day. Now, what happens next in the conversation, as this is happening on the ground, God sees it, and now God's going to inform Moshe what's going on in verses 7 to 8. And then in 11 and 12, Moshe is going to respond. There's more, but I'm focusing on the specific parts that I think make our point most, most strongly today. So fascinatingly, in verse 7, God speaks to Moshe and says, Lech red, right? Hurry, go down. Why? Kishichet amcha. Asher he'ilita me'eretz mitzrayim. What? So hurry down, says JPS, for your people, Amcha, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have acted basely. Amcha, asher he'ilita me'eretz mitzrayim. So this is a very, very big problem for me. And I think for anyone who's reading the text carefully, the people have indicated that there's strong confusion. They think Moshe took them out of the Egypt and now they're replacing Moshe with a golden calf. And they seem to be satisfied by that. Aaron is trying to step in, I think, in the best way he can and say, okay, fine. You want this calf? No problem. But don't forget, tomorrow is a holiday for God, Yud K Vav K, capital G. Looks good. Now God comes in and says to Moshe, hey, your nation that you took out of Egypt, you better go down and see what they're up to. Because they have turned aside from the way that I have commanded them because they've made themselves this gold, this calf and now they're bowing to it and they're sacrificing to it and they're saying, that this is your God, lowercase g, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So what is God upset about here? Okay, God is saying they've deviated from what I've commanded them. But God spends much more time addressing the frustration that they're now worshiping a golden calf, saying this is our God who took us out of the land of Egypt. 
Now, wouldn't we want God, capital G, to be thinking about this the same way that Aharon is? By saying, by exhibiting the frustration that I'm the one, you know, I got him the one who took them out of Egypt, not you. How could they think that, that you know, that I can be replaced by a lowercase g God? But if that's what Mo God is upset about, then the introduction in verse seven doesn't make sense because God is saying, Amcha Moshe, your nation, Asher Hilita Me'eretz Misayim, whom you brought out of Egypt. And so I want to suggest here that God is in fact exhibiting that same kind of confusion and confusion of roles, confusion of status that the people themselves are exhibiting. They're confusing Moshe and Moshe represents, right? God, capital G in a way that, okay, maybe indicates that they were themselves confused, right? Maybe it wasn't made clear enough to them. But now, why is God exhibiting that same confusion? Why is God saying to Moshe, these is your people whom you took out of Egypt? No, they're not. They're God's people. Moshe's God's agent. But Moshe doesn't replace God. So how could God be alleging that they're Moshe's people whom he took out of Egypt? Now, I don't have an answer right away, but I think that when we look at how Moshe responds to God in 11 and 12, we see something very, very interesting happen. So how does Moshe respond in verse 11? But Moshe implored the Lord his God, saying, what, what does he say? Lama Hashem apcha. Let not your anger, God, blaze forth. Be'amecha asher hotzeta me'eretz mitzrayim. Be'koch gadol v'yad chazaka. Let not your anger, O Lord, blaze forth against your people, amecha, whom you delivered from the land of Egypt. Asher hotzeta me'eretz mitzrayim. And then continues, you know, don't have the Egyptians say, oh, God brought them out just so that God could kill them in the wilderness, blah, 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 blah. Whoa. But here, what is going on with Moshe saying back to God, no, this isn't my nation whom I took out of the land of Egypt. This is your nation, God, whom you took out of the land of Egypt. Now, neither of these is actually particularly necessary for the story. They could have just said, amcha, amcha, and then continued. So there has to be a reason, I think, that God says to Moshe, this is your people whom you took out. And then Moshe says back to God, no, this is your people whom you took out. What's really interesting, first of all, I think a lot of the, the mafarshim that I looked at didn't really address this particular um, challenging dynamic. I suspect that perhaps a lot of them are just trying to ignore it the way that uh, if if a lot of us are sitting in a room and two people are in conflict with each other, we just kind of look away and avoid, and avoid eye contact and hope that they stop arguing soon, right? So it's a bit of an uncomfortable exchange. But the Rashbam, he addresses it, he just Talls it straight out and says that when Moshe says back, no, Amecha, Asher Hotzeta, Amecha, the low Ami, right? Your nation, not mine, says Moshe, Asher Hotzeta, that you took out, the low Ani, Heliti, Ela Ata, right? It wasn't me who took him out of Egypt, it was you, says the Rashbam. Now, that's not Moshe being polite. I think that's Moshe talking back to God and saying, uh uh, this isn't my problem, or these aren't my people, these are your people. And so this really leaves us with an interesting question of who now do we have at the end of the day who is confused? The people are confused, right? They think Moshe is the one who took them out of Egypt. Aaron, 
has clarity with the situation because he says, fine, this is your God, but at the end of the day, we're going to have a holiday for Yudke Vavke tomorrow. Then Yudke Vavke comes in and actually recreates, returns to that confusion, says, Moshe, this is your people whom you took out of Egypt. And then Moshe has to put back in it, push back at him and say, uh-uh, no, they're your people whom you took out of Egypt. And so now we're left with Moshe and Aharon being the two parties of clarity and the nation and God being the two parties of confusion. And I know that it certainly might be considered heretical by some to say that, that God here is confused about Moshe's own status. And you can challenge me on that if you want, or we can, we can think about it differently. But at the end of the day, I think it's a very important message and one that actually really does carry through, through the arrest of Shmot. Because a lot of the rest of the Parsha, if you pay attention to it, it's all about Moshe and God sorting out what exactly is Moshe's role. You know, Moshe says, God, I want to see you face to face. I want to know, I want to know all parts of you. And God says, um, you can see me from the back, but you can't really see the full part of me. But then Moshe's walking around and he's coming down and his face is radiant. After he talks to God, the people can't even look at him. And, and there's a whole lot of confusion about Moshe's own role. And that's more of also what I addressed last year. But I think it's also important this year to consider from the perspective of the four perspectives in this story, that even though Moshe, Moshe knows very, very well that he's not the one who took them out of Egypt, it was God, right? Moshe, <laughs> one thing we can never accuse Moshe of is, is arrogance or of, or of uh, thinking more highly of his position, right? It's the opposite. He always wants to get out of his job, not to, not to lean into it. Um, but I think that, you know, in thinking about what really happened at the golden calf, and more importantly, I think who is to blame, what lessons are to be learned. I think that the lessons that are to be learned are that God perhaps didn't communicate this dynamic or God's self wasn't even sure yet of what exactly this dynamic would be and had to sort out that, yeah, you know, Moshe, Moshe is on the same level as the rest of the people. Moshe is still human. But that's not something that necessarily was obvious right away. Not to suggest that Moshe was godlike. I mean, we just simply don't believe that. But I do want to suggest that perhaps a leader was thought of, or they were yet ready to say, well, leader is simply human and nothing more, which is, I think, an attitude that we certainly take today in Judaism and in our lives. But that at this point, the Torah isn't entirely clear. Moshe really does have a special status with God. And it's certainly enough to confuse the people who are simply witnessing to it. It's not enough to confuse our own Moshe themselves, but it confuses the people. And perhaps God, God's self already doesn't even fully yet know what we want out of Moshe exactly. And so that leaves us still with a big question of what is the real sin? What is the real tragedy of the golden calf? And I think perhaps one of the tragedies of it or the, the important lessons we can learn from it is that we, when we're teaching new systems to other people, if we ourselves don't fully understand yet what those systems are, it will create a lot of a lot of confusion um, and tragic confusion. And that it, it's what we're witnessing here, I think, is part of the the pangs, the the early pangs, the learning pangs um, of trying to create new systems where they didn't previously exist. Good job, Is.